Welcome back to the God Notes Podcast. My name is Justin Lee, and as always, I'm so glad to have you guys here with me today. I feel like I say it every week, there's nothing better than to be doing these podcasts and having these God Notes and these moments. And the more that I've been doing this podcast and the more that I've been like recording, you know, making a point, not just to record audio-wise, but making a, a point to write down like when during study all those little notes, all those little nuggets of information that God gives me. It's been funny because I've seen in the, seen those coming out more and more in other messages. I've been working on like my first sermon. I don't have a time to preach it yet as a minister, but I know that that day is coming soon. And so I, I felt God leading me in a certain direction. Something just hit me in my mind and I wanted to write it down. And so I've I've been working on that, and then I've been working on, obviously, the More God, Less Me episodes of the podcast, and it's been interesting because I have all these notes, I have all these little things that come in different times and different purposes, and then all of a sudden, like, you'll be working on something, you're like, that thought from forever ago fits perfectly right here. Now, obviously, I've been in the church long enough to have heard other ministers talk about this, to have heard people that are preachers talking about how they'll have these things and they'll keep notes, and then it will come out later, the reason behind it, what they can use it for, a sermon or uh, you know, some kind of teaching that allows them to use it. And so that's what I found making these podcast episodes, especially making like the More God episodes. What I talk about in this sometimes will become its own episode, but other times the little segments of things, the little small nuggets, will just show up in the midst of other teaching as an illustration or as a point to subject that I'm working on later. And I don't even realize it until I'm working and I'm like, you know what? I actually have that and I thought about that that one time. And honestly, it's been interesting because of the way that I do this now where I write the notes down. I try to read through them before the podcast or like as I'm doing the podcast, I'll read through them um, before I read them in the recording. And you can almost have it memorized. Like I can just, oh yeah, I have that thing. And I don't even need to look it back up. I pretty much can get the gist of that nugget and what I want to use from it because I've read through it a couple times, I've recited it on a podcast and talked about it in greater detail, and that's just been such a great blessing. And so what I'm saying is that even if you're not going to do podcasts, even if you're not going to do your own thing like this, I highly recommend that during your study time, when God hits you in that moment and like you see something clearly, you see a connection, or you, you start to understand something, when revelation comes and your, your understanding makes more sense about what you're reading and what you're studying, write that down. Because at some point, that's going to become helpful to you. Even if you're just a layman, if you're not a minister, there may be a time later where you want to use that for something, either to help somebody else. Oh, you know, I was actually thinking about what you're talking about right now, and I have notes that I took on it during my study. That would be a great way to reach somebody, because then they're going to see that how serious you are in the faith. If somebody had come up to me before I was in the right place with God, and not had only wanted to tell me about God or tell me things, but said, you know, I actually took some notes during my study, and this is what I was seeing that actually relates to what we're talking about here. That would have been pretty interesting and impactful. One, because you'd be able to see how God works in it, and two, you would just know that this person's serious about their faith. This isn't just somebody who claims to be a Christian or something like that, but this is somebody who's doing real study, who's taking notes, and then is applying those notes in their daily life. That's pretty impressive, and so I think that we should all be taking notes during our study. Don't lose these things. What I find a lot of times in that moment, it's so clear and it's so thing, and you're like, I'd never forget this. And then five minutes later, you were like, what was that thing that God had showed me? But you, you need to write it down. I think of it too, and this is what I've told my wife for a long time, because the podcast, while we've not been doing that as long, I was doing different forms of online ministry through writing. 
So I wrote for a long time before I ever started speaking online. I've tried to do video, and I wasn't as good at video. We're trying to do better about getting into video, but we need to be back in our house first, praise God. We're going to will that we're going to be back in soon and in budget. But uh, anyways, if you don't know anything about that, you can go and listen to some of the episodes of the Better Together podcast where me and my wife are there, and we talk about just some of these situations that we're in right now with that. But what I told my wife is that a lot of times the inspiration and like the writing is like a geyser, right? Like you have a flood all the moments, like a fire hose being turned on and you're getting all this information, all these great things. But if you don't make a point to utilize it or to capture it, it's all going to be gone. When the valve turns back off, when the geyser's done, it's kind of over. And so if you didn't catch it, if you didn't get it, then you're going to struggle to try to get back to it and remember and all those things in the moment. Now, obviously, the way God works is if he wants the message to get out, he's not going to deprive you from it. But I find it better because there's always going to be like some phrasing, some way that it was in your mind that it's just not the same when you try to recapture it or refind it unless you've already written it down. So all that's a plug to study the Bible, pray, be spending time with God. But when you're receiving from God in those moments, take a note, write it down. If you're a preacher, obviously you know that you need to be doing this. If you're a teacher, if you teach Bible studies, or if you're just a regular Christian, your job is to evangelize. Your job is to make disciples. And so having study material, having things inside of you, having notes is only going to help you do better what God has already called you to do. And so that's just one of the things that I love about getting to do this podcast, though, is that it's helped me in other aspects of my ministry just to simply collect and share those little Holy Ghost thoughts, those little tidbits from God, the God notes, as we call it on this podcast, and just be able to share those with you. Now, without any further ado, without any more rambling, we're going to be talking about uh, our normal four topics this week. The first being a way of understanding, or I I put the reason for commands as the title for this, but it's going to be a little bit different. You'll understand that when we get to it. But really, we're going to talk about understanding part of the reason that God gives us commands. We're also going to talk about godly sorrow. Because a lot of times we view sorrow as something that we don't want to experience or that's not good for us. But the Bible actually teaches us that there's a form of sorrow, godly sorrow, that is beneficial to us. I'm also going to talk about not trying to understand the miraculous. As well as including the elders and deacons. Based on something I read in Philippians recently that just really stuck with me and I thought would, was interesting way to look at something because we don't often look at things like that. So I'm excited to get into these, starting with the reason for commands. Now, I'm going to be straight with you. I've even got it in here. As strange as it sounds, this is going to be a strange sounding note for a second, but I think that it drives the point home and helps us to understand why God gives us commands. And I wrote, as strange as it sounds, The reason that our God has given us commands is the same reason that we teach our dogs commands. Not that we're dogs in the eyes of God. Bear with me here. We don't teach our dogs commands to rule their life or lord over them. We give specific instructions for their protection. Sit, stay, and come are all meant to keep them out of dangerous situations. And even commands like leave it protect them from what they shouldn't have. It's no different than the commands that God has given us. They are meant to protect us and to keep us from what we shouldn't have. Even though we may not understand why we are kept from what we think we want. Just like your dog doesn't know why you don't want them to have chocolate because it's harmful. The dog still doesn't understand. We also have the ability to act in disobedience if we so choose. Just like our dogs. Our dogs don't have to listen to the commands that we give them. And we don't have to obey. We're not forced 
to do what God tells us to do. We don't have to follow his commands. God doesn't force anything, but allows us to have a choice. And the sad truth, though, is that dogs are often more obedient to their masters than Christians are to their God. Dogs will give all they have for flawed people, but few are willing to give all they have for a perfect God. The more that I went into that, the more I began to think about the similarities and the differences between dogs and us as humans. Dogs serving their master, us serving our God. A lot, honestly, as weird as it sounds, we should be a little bit more like dogs. We should be loyal to God. We should be trusting to God, and we should be giving Him un, unending love, love that surpasses all other things. That's what we should be giving and pouring out to God, because that's what He's worthy of. And as dog owners, I have a dog, and honestly, I'm not always worthy of everything that she wants to give me. She wants to love on me all the time. She wants to be around me and give me affection and attention, and she'll even listen to what I tell her to do. But I'm not worthy like God is of that kind of respect and that adoration all the time. You know, God's been great to us. Have we always been perfect to our animals? And that's an iffy statement sometimes, right? Like we do good for them the best that we can sometimes. But other times, you know, you're fed up. You're like, I just need you to go away. But God never tells us to go away, right? We never push them off the bed and tell them, no, we don't want you up here. You're taking up space. You're doing this. God never gets frustrated in the same way that we get frustrated at our pets, right? God is deserving of so much more than we are as humans, but I also think it's really important to think about that in terms of commands. God gives us all of his word not to hinder us, not to hold us back from what we desire, but to give us a better life, and really you can't argue with that. If you think about the things that we're told not to do, you could take sex out of marriage or adultery and things like that. One Adultery is going to ruin your relationship with your spouse, plain and simple. The relationship will never be the same. After that, no matter how much grace and how much mercy that you give, you're still going to struggle with that in the future. And then sex without limits and with multiple partners and all these things leads to one thing, sexually transmitted diseases, which in some cases can end your life, but can make your life so much worse. So God tells us, don't do that. It's not good for you, and it's not good for you spiritually to be connected to that many different people. There's a reason that God gives us his truth and his word. There's so much that God tells us not to do, not because it's what we should not want to do. Like, why would you not want to do drugs? Well, have you seen what drugs do to people? No wonder that we would not want to do in an addictive thing like that. Oh, well, we don't gamble. Why don't you gamble? Well, it's not because we don't get to have fun. It's because of what gambling can do and how it can become an idol in your life. It's all about protection. God is trying to put us on the path to the best life. This is what you need to understand is that sin is attractive. That's the only thing that the enemy has working for him is that he can make things that are attractive to the flesh because he's nothing but flesh. We have the spirit, so we get to rise above the flesh. We can crucify the flesh and we can live without the desires of the flesh. But our flesh is going to desire the evil, tempting things that the devil's created because that is his plan. That's how he wants to trick us. That's the only way that he has to entice us away from the great things of God is to falsely make us think that those things look good. But they're not good for us. They're worldly creations that won't benefit us and won't make our lives any better. But doing what God says does improve our lives. Just like if our dogs do what we say, they're going to have a better life. They're going to have a safer life. If our dog knows to come when we say come, then they're not going to have that high probability of getting hit by a car. That's why recall training, I've studied a lot about dog training, and maybe that's what's showing in this. 
But recall training is one of the most important things that you can do with your dog. And not just if you want to have them off leash. Like I enjoy being able to have my dog because she's trained well to be off leash in our yard. And even when we go other places, I can pretty well have her be off leash. And I know that she's going to come back to me when I tell her to come. But if your dog's not trained in that way, even if you don't have them off leash regularly in your yard or at your house, there's still a chance that they could get out at some point. And they could go out and get near the road. And how important it is that then for them to know a command from a loving master that's not trying to dictate their lives, but is trying to protect them. And that's how we need to look at God. When we look into God's word, we need to look at it as notes from a loving God who doesn't want to, to rule and lord over our lives in that way. He is the Lord, and he does rule. But God's not looking to control you or to force you to do things or to make you do things even against your will. But what God wants you to do is live a life that will be joyful, that will be enjoyable, that will be healthy, that will be without some of the struggles that are all associated with sin. Sin comes with its own set of struggles. Life has struggles, and then you sin on top of that, and you're going to have so many more struggles in your life. But if we can be obedient to the word that God has given us, we can live a better life. I don't know a better way to explain it or to say it, but the simple truth is that if we follow what God is teaching, we can live a better life. That's how great and simple it is with our God. We can have those commands. They're there for a reason, and that reason is because God loves us and he protects us and he wants the best for us, and the best way to do that is to give us a word to tell us the better way from the worse way. And the way that we see that differentiation is in God. And it's interesting to think that the Bible says that when you love God, his commands are not burdensome. And I feel like that's why I no longer see, like at one point, I'm not going to lie, living for God seemed more difficult. But it's really not difficult because God's not asking you to do anything. In fact, he's asking you in most cases, well, he's asking us to do things, obviously. But in most cases, the commands are what you're not supposed to do. So God's actually asking you to do less. Don't do this, don't do that. So God's not saying do so much more for me. He's saying just stay away from the things that are bad for you. But once I saw these commands as burdensome or difficult to obtain to or as difficult to live for God and live a righteous lifestyle, but the more that I've grown with my connection with God, which honestly is grown through prayer, is grown through worship, is grown through studying His Word, spending time in the Word daily, having a daily communicative relationship with God, that is what's going to produce the most fruit in your life. And that's what's going to help you to love God like you've never loved God before. And what I'm saying is that that's why I no longer see his commands as burdensome. Because I've cultivated a love for God that helps me to understand his commands. That helps me to understand where he's coming from and what he's trying to teach us and why he gives us those certain commands. And I hope that that helps you to understand commands. I hope that you can see that, that God didn't just give you these commands in the hopes that he could control your life or that he could keep you in line and things like that. God's not a dictator. He's not like human authorities. God is perfect and truly wants the best for you. And he gives you commands that will help you to experience the best in this life. And when we live according to his commands, when we trust his word, and when we act on what he's told us, we are going to have the best. Not maybe in this life. There'll be sufferings and there'll be struggles. But we'll have heaven. We'll get to go to heaven where God is. We'll get to go to eternal peace eternal salvation, where God will wipe away every tear. What better blessing is there than to know 
that that's waiting for us, that there is a better tomorrow on the horizon for every believer. And all we have to do is live according to God's word, to follow his commands, to be baptized, to receive the Holy Ghost, to repent, and to try your best to live a life free of sin. And when you do fall to sin, repenting. Those are not hard things to do. Those are not hard requests that our God has made. He's made it simple. And we train our dogs to follow commands, but our God doesn't train us. Our God simply says, these are my commands which you ought to follow and you must follow in order to be saved. And if you are willing, follow them, please. If not, I will wait for you. Right? Even if we walk away from those commands like the prodigal son, God's still going to be waiting for us to return back to his word, to his truth, to his house. And he'll be waiting for us with arms open. A lot of people have to go wayward to learn how much better God's way was. And a lot of us came from wayward ways, thinking God's way didn't make any sense, only to find how much better it is. The testimony of the saints is there. If you're in the church, if you're young, don't think you need to seek into the world and it's going to be better because I can promise you it's not. I've been there and I came out of it to this because this is the better life. And I don't want you to have to go through struggle and trials only to find out that you already had everything you needed and more. God blesses us beyond what we deserve and beyond what we are worthy of. And everything you need is in the church. It may not make sense to you now, but the best thing you can do if you don't understand God's commands, if you're still struggling with this, is talk to him. God, why this? Why that? Allow him to reveal his reasoning to you in your heart and let him lead you in the word. Study the Bible. And then you'll start to see more and more of the reasons why God's word simply just makes sense. Next up, we've got godly sorrow. Godly sorrow over sin brings changes in one's life. It's the response to coming to the realization of all that you've done against God. While worldly sorrow brings no change, but returns to the same sinful behavior time and time again. When we have been blessed by God with the forgiveness and salvation, we should not be able to sin flippantly as Christians. We shouldn't be able to brush off our misconduct with no remorse for our actions. The false belief in our world today is that repentance is a one-time act. That you simply seek forgiveness once and you get a free pass to live any way that you want. A false ideology born out of the once saved, always saved belief, which has zero biblical basis and really can only be found in America. The early church and Christians all around the world do not hold this false belief system. The lifestyle we are taught through Scripture is that of continued repentance. John said it well in his first letter. He says, My little, this is chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. We also see this in action between both of Paul's letters to the Corinthians. In the first letter that Paul wrote to them, he rebukes them for their sinful behavior. Then in the next, Paul speaks of how their godly sorrow brought about repentance and salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. As crazy as it sounds, God wants us to ex- sometimes experience sorrow. Because of what it's able to produce in our lives, godly sorrow is recognizing what you have done wrong, and that has the power to change you, to help you turn from your wicked path that you've been walking. 
We should all be willing to experience such sorrow because it can make us better and draw us even closer to God. Really, I would say that we all need to have the same plea as David, seeking God to reveal our shortcomings that we may correct them. Psalms 19, verses 12 to 13 says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. It's not always going to be enjoyable, but some of the best things for us aren't. But it can save us from much more heartache down the road. Personally, I'd rather experience godly sorrow now to experience eternal joy in heaven. I really think that's sometimes what we need and we don't realize we need. In the modern church today, we feel like Christianity is all about joy and happiness and God's blessings and give 20 and get 200 and, you know, God's going to turn it around and God's going to do this and God's going to do that. But before God's going to start working in your life, God's going to get you to a sense of repentance. God's going to get you to a sense of brokenness so he can put you back together, which I know sounds weird, but you need to realize where you were. You need to realize that your past was wrong, that you weren't living right for God and that you need to have a change. You need to realize that you're a sinner, fallen short of the glory of God, and the only thing that saves you is your, is your, is God's grace, his mercy. It's God's free gift that we have salvation. Salvation is nothing that we earn, and so we can't have pride in it. But it also helps us to realize that we need to have godly sorrow. We need to realize these things so that we can come to God righteously. I do believe that God wants to bless his people. I do believe that God wants you to experience joy. I do believe, and the Bible confirms, that God wants you to have peace without understanding, peace that surpasses all understanding, peace that's able to meet you in your situation. But before we can experience those things, we've got to experience godly sorrow. And even then, if when we have experienced those things and we're living for God and we turned away from our righteousness, but if we begin to turn back to things and we begin to allow things in our lives that shouldn't be there, then we need to experience that same godly sorrow again. We need God to reveal to us our ways. We need a godly man like Paul in our lives, either from the pulpit, which we need a, 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 a pastor, a preacher or a pastor there. We need a pastor in our lives. We need somebody who's preaching biblical truth into our lives, who's not just trying to you know, give us that build-up sermon every week or to try to make us feel good about life and things like that. No, we need somebody who's going to point out where the world's going, the way that we may be going, who's in connection with God. What we need is to have a pastor in our life who's filled with the Spirit, who's not just preaching what he wants to be preaching on, but is receiving what he's preaching from God every week so he can come in there and he can speak to individual hearts, individual minds, and have an impact on us and the congregation, leading us like Paul led his audience, his congregation, the people he was writing his letters to, to a place of godly sorrow. Because it's that place that's going to allow us to turn our lives around and to come back to God, to turn away from those sins. Paul very well saved those people by taking them the truth and by causing them to be in godly sorrow. It's what they needed to experience in order that they could correct their lives, that they could turn, that they could change, and that they could be who they were meant to be. Sorrow is not a bad thing. It's not a dirty word. It's not bad to feel bad. Sometimes the best thing we can feel is to feel bad. We need to feel bad about doing bad things, right? Because we need to have that conscience check. We need to know that's wrong. God wouldn't want me to do that. I need to repent. I need to turn from that. I need to not do that anymore. There needs to be moments in the church where we think, you know, I haven't been praying enough. 
You know, I haven't been reading my Bible like I should. You know, I did let that thing happen, or I've been letting this sin play itself out in my life, and it's wrong, and I don't need to do it. We need to have those realizations, and we need to cut those things out of our lives before they draw us away from God. If you want to get pulled away from God, stop praying, stop reading your Bible, start sinning. Those things are going to draw you away from God. It's going to change your life back to the way that it used to be before you knew God. That's not the way to go. But the only way that you're going to stay away from those things is if somehow you're being brought to godly sorrow. Somehow you're knowing that what you're doing is wrong and that God has something to say about it that can draw you back to him and closer to him and into the right relationship you should have with him. I just think it's interesting so how rare in so many like modern churches the idea of godly sorrow is talked about. The idea that that you are supposed to live a certain way, and if you're not living that way, you should feel bad about it, and that bad feeling should make you want to do better. It's what should drive you back to God. Don't allow a preacher preaching on something that you struggle with to drive you out of that church. Instead, realize that maybe God's trying to talk to you to get you to turn away from that thing. The Bible talks about how iron sharpens iron. That's not a clean process. That's not a process where You know, iron can't sharpen iron without taking some pieces off, without some sparks flying, without abrasive actions taking place. But in the the end, one sword or both swords are better than they were when they started. Sometimes things are going to happen to you. People are going to come to you and tell you, hey, you really shouldn't be doing that. And it's going to make you feel something. You could get angry or you could become remorseful or you could do both, but don't respond in anger. Instead, realize the reason you feel remorse is because you've known that you weren't in the right place and that you need to correct that. And let us just correct our lives. Let us try to align ourselves as perfectly as we can with God's Word. Why would we want to be in perfect alliance with anything else other than God's Word? But if we can turn to God, we can become aligned in His Word, we're going to live a better life like we talked about in the last note. Simply by doing God's commands, we're going to live a better life. So why would we not also want to live a better life in the other aspect of that. You know, why would we not also want to live a better life just by simply trying to align with God's Word, with removing the things that we know we don't need in our lives? I really think that it's worth it to experience godly sorrow, to know what are we doing? Is it right? Is it wrong? If we're experiencing godly joy, then let us stay in the things that we're doing and continue to do them more and more and continue to experience that joy and feel that joy and live in a way that is better. I really don't know a better way to say that, but is just better is more enjoyable. Uh, There is a better way that you can live your life, and sometimes to get to that place, you're going to have to experience sorrow, but don't look at it as a bad thing. Look at it as, um, as a good thing. I think that there's no... No greater thing that we can do than to look at godly sorrow in the face and say, that is what I need to experience if I'm doing wrong. And there's nothing wrong with being sad because that's sometimes what God wants because it's going to draw us closer to him. I feel like I kind of rambled a little bit in the end there, and I do apologize. But turning to the next subject we have in the queue today is don't try to understand the miraculous. While studying recently, I read Isaiah 44 and 28. It says, when I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem, he will say, restore the temple. The amazing thing about this verse is that God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah about a leader who would not be born for more than a century. 
He's not just giving some clues as to who the leader will be or where they will come from, but he's pointing them out by name, something that only happens a few other times in the Bible. It's not a common occurrence. But we see later in the opening passage of Ezra that everything happened just as God said it would through the prophet. Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 say, In the first year of King of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judea. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and many may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people will be able to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Because giving a specific name is so uncommon, and the miraculous nature of this prophecy, many have looked for ways to explain it away. And that's not just many secular people, many non-Christians, but even Christians have looked for ways to explain how this could be possible. And they've come up with theories that don't really have any biblical foundation, such as there must have been two Isaiahs, one who lived earlier and one who lived around the time of Cyrus both being prophets and working on the same writing, of course. Others have claimed that Cyrus was a name every king of Persia took when they took the throne. But there's no historical evidence for this. The real question here is why can't we trust the power of God? Is this not exactly what an omnipresent God would be able to do? Is our God not all-knowing? The Bible declares the greatness of our God and even says that nothing is too hard for him. Just a few verses before this prophecy about Cyrus, God declares that he will carry out the predictions of his prophets. Isaiah seems to be the perfect prophet to use to bring about such a mighty miracle because he was resilient in the faith and not willing to back down from his calling, even in a time when Israel was far from God. Though, of course, God is willing and can use anyone to do great things and accomplish his perfect will, we should, need to try to find, we should not need to try to find an explanation that makes sense to us. One that explains away God's miraculous power. Instead, we should simply trust what God's Word says. When we try to explain away the miraculous, it shows that we trust in our own understanding more than we trust in God. We don't need to understand everything that God does or how He does it. He is God and we're not. Really, we can't begin to understand God because His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But we can trust that God is able to do great things that we have no explanation for. We shouldn't waste our time trying to find an explanation for for this that fits our understanding. If more of that time was spent seeking after God in prayer, we would have a far better understanding of His miraculous power. But at the end of the day, that being able to provide the name of the leader who wouldn't be born for 100 years isn't too hard for our God, considering He created the heavens and the earth, split seas, made walls fall down, defeated whole armies with just a few men, shut the mouths of lions, gave over 300 prophecies about Jesus, and fulfilled all of them, including virgin birth, and so much more. The simple thing to remember is that we don't need to explain God. God always has and always will prove himself. If you want to see all that God can do, place all your trust in him and allow him to work in your life. It may not make sense and be impossible for us to do what God does, but we must remember that nothing is impossible for God. If you haven't heard it, I did another podcast episode in a similar vein. It's More God, episode 12, and it's all about when God doesn't make sense. 
And we can accept that God's not going to make sense. I truly believe that. I believe that we don't have to understand every single thing that God does. Because we're not God. We're not omnipresent. We're not all-knowing. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We can't, we can't go up to God and say, hey, God, I don't think that you did that right. Like it's just, We're talking about God. He created us. He created the understanding and the mind that we have. So we can only believe that he knows better than we do. He can do things that we can't begin to understand. And not to mention, people are like, how could God possibly know that Cyrus was going to be the king even though he hadn't been born yet? Well, uh, David said that, that God knit him together in the womb. Paul said that he was chosen before he was ever born. So those are both interesting facts. Not to mention the fact that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is but a day. So God lives outside the constraints of time. So what's happening now has already happened or is about to happen for God. Like the time does not exist for God. God lives outside of time. He sees all things at once. God knows everything. He knows what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and when we're going to do it. And so for God to tell Isaiah what was going to happen is not some miraculous feat. It's just God being God. And we can accept that and understand that there are things that God can do that are impressive that are inspiring, that are going to build our faith because that's the only way that we can understand them is through faith, is through trusting things unseen. We need to just be able to trust the miraculous. It doesn't make sense that cancer can disappear, but we know our God can do it. It doesn't make sense that blind eyes can be opened, but we know that our God can do it. There's nothing too hard for God, and that's a lot of what I talk about in that podcast episode. So if you struggle with understanding the miraculous, I highly recommend you listen to that podcast because you don't need to struggle in that way. You need to learn to know God and learn to trust God and learn to understand that God can do all things. If we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, then why can we not believe that that same God can simply do all things on his own? Why do we need to find an explanation for the things that God does, or try to understand how, why, or what our God is doing. When we can simply trust that it's all for our benefit, it's all for our good. Romans 8.28 says, For God works all things to the good of those who believe and are called according to his purpose. Well, it seems to me like in Isaiah's case, that was very true. God was working all things for the good of those who loved him and were called according to his purpose. He was telling Elijah what was going to happen, and when it happened, it confirmed the power of God. I think that's why God would do such a thing, is to show himself able. To show himself able to do things that we can't understand. To show that he's God and we're not. To show that we need to rely on him, to trust in the word that he's given us, because he simply knows more, he knows better, and he can do things that we can never do on our own. At the end of the day, we can trust the miraculous. We can trust that God's able to do things. Now, it's hard to trust the miraculous in the sense of claims in our world today. But the Bible does say not to scoff at prophecy. It says not to just like throw away all these things, but to test things, to see if they're true. It's hard to be in the church and hear somebody get healed of this or get healed of that and to be like, is that real? But at the same time, we shouldn't question, can God do it? I understand where you come from wondering, was that real? Was this real? Pray about it, test it, make sure it was real. But don't question, could God do it? God created the body. Of course, he can heal the body. God can control all things. God can make good things happen or bad things happen. God can touch hearts and touch minds and do things that don't make sense. God used multiple kings that should have still been against Israel 
but he touched their heart in such a way that they were for Israel and that they did things that just didn't make sense either. Even in the case of Cyrus, so why would God want, why would Cyrus want to, to rebuild Israel for any other reason than that God put it on his heart, that God was using them, God was touching him in a way that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for an opposing ruler to want to do those things, but he did because God was using him, even though he really didn't know God that well. That's impressive. We see that all through the book of Daniel. All those various kings that God is somehow using for his purpose without them really understanding it. And God knowing it, and even, um, is it Adder Xerxes or, but he, but he, you know, he becomes like a, a wild beast. His, claw, his hair grows long, his fingernails grow to be like claws, and he goes and he lives off of chewing on the grass for a while when he loses his mind because he didn't give the honor to God, because it was all by God that he had what he had because of God's purpose. God can do things that doesn't make sense, and I believe he still is doing things that don't make sense to us, but we can trust that he's doing them for us and for our good. Praise God. Praise him that he is looking out for us, the insignificant little ants that we are in comparison to him, but he loves us so much and cares for us so much that he is working all things for our good, that he's doing the miraculous for our benefit, and may we give him glory, honor, and praise for it because he is worthy of it. He is worthy of the praise because he can do all things, even that which doesn't make sense. I just hope that we can understand that we don't have to understand, and there's no reason to try because we're going to come up with things that don't make sense, like the fact that there could be two Elijahs that never reveal the fact that they're different, and they lived at different times, but were both prophets and both decided to work, well, the latter one decided just to jump on to the, the earlier, a hundred year earlier's book and just finish it out without ever making mention of it. That doesn't make sense. And that's the kind of conclusions we jump to when we try to understand God. We really come up with things that are so far out there that it doesn't make sense instead of simply taking God at his word and believing in his greater abilities. And finally today... We come to the last note, which I titled, Including the Elders and Deacons. In the introduction to Philippians, Paul makes what I believe to be an interesting statement. He says he writes to all the saints, including the overseers, or some translations say the elders and deacons. By saying this, Paul makes it clear that his writing does not only apply to some Christians, but to all Christians. Sometimes even in the church, as we advance in position and respect, we begin to believe that certain things no longer apply to us or that we already have it all figured out. But neither of these beliefs are true. Every Christian, regardless of calling, position, or even years spent in the church, will always need other faith-filled voices speaking into their lives. In this case, with Paul, the deacons and the elders of the church were just in much of need of his message as the spiritual babies were. It's so important that we always... Remember this as we grow in the faith. We should never think that we are standing strong or have everything figured out on our own. Really, that's when we take pride, right? We believe we stand. That's, we, we do that before we fall. And I don't want to fall. We need to remember that people can still speak into our lives, that people can still have an effect in our lives. The Bible is clear that everything, that such a mindset will lead to falling falling into sin and away from God. Sometimes in the church, it can feel repetitive. Like you have heard a certain subject taught a million times. There's certain things that come up when a pastor steps up, they're like, oh my goodness, I've heard this before. But there could still be something in that that you need to hear. There could be a perspective, a thought, something that God's trying to communicate through that man of God 
that can be impactful for you. And so you need to realize that you're not above needing to get certain words from certain people, regardless of your position, regardless of how long you've been in the faith. Even at times, we need a reminder of what we already know, like Peter gave in his first letter. And that's interesting because Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12-13 through 13, says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. So Paul's saying, or sorry, not Paul, Peter is saying that he feels right to stir them back up. They already know this, but he feels like it's good to stir them back up to the things that they already know. I think that applies to us. Really, every Christian, from the two-hour-old believer to the preacher with 50 years under his belt, is in need of the same truth, a truth that does not change or become any less relevant the more we grow in God. God's Word applies to all people in all positions, so we should take every message, word, and especially book of the Bible as though it applies directly to us, because it does. We are not better than anyone else, and His Word never stops being applicable. This is something I strive to remember as I continue my journey of being a minister. I'm young in that. I've only been licensed for a short amount of time, right? I've not preached my first sermon in the church yet, but I know that the years will tick by, that time I will advance in ability, position, and knowledge. By God's grace, I'll have those things, but that doesn't mean that there's still not things that are going to be applicable. That doesn't mean that I can get to a point where I no longer need to listen to certain things, and none of us ever get to those points. And I'm not just speaking to other ministers. I'm not just speaking to leaders in churches, but I'm speaking even to the saints. You can feel as though you don't need to hear from that, you don't need that, you don't need this, but that's not true. We still need voices speaking to us. There were elders in Paul's day. These were leaders of the church, but Paul was speaking to them just as intently as he was speaking to the people that they were leaders over. Paul didn't write two separate letters, one to the people and one to the leaders telling them different things, but he wrote all things to both parties because they could both benefit from that same knowledge and knowing, really, what the other one's being taught. Even if Paul makes statements in some of his letters to the elders and to the leaders, it's still beneficial for the people to know that, because that shows them what they should expect from their leadership. But it's just as important that the leaders are, are knowing the same things that the people are being taught, so they're reminded of the truth and what they ought to be teaching. It's easy if you're not reminded of these things, to stray from it, to teach different things, to do different things. But we need a constant reminder in the Scripture. And no one's better than anybody else. That's the thing that we have to remember. We should respect people. We should honor people's sacrifices. We should honor the work that they do. But we shouldn't look at this person or that person as better as the other simply based on position. Because their position in the church, especially, was only given by God. And it was because they were called to do something. God gave them those abilities. They didn't cultivate them on their own. So the one worthy of the praise for what we accomplish as Christians isn't ourselves, but is God, because it's God working through us. Yes, we were the willing vessel, and we should, be, uh, we should give honor to willing vessels, but we should give honor to people just willing to serve God in the best way that they can and in the way they're called to, irregardless of the way that God has called them to serve. We shouldn't look at like, well, this person's only an usher, but this is the bishop. Well, this person was called to be an usher, and this person was called to be a bishop. They're just doing what God called them to do to the best of their abilities and using the God-given gifts and talents that they have to do their thing. So they're equally worthy in my mind. Now, we are supposed to give honor to teachers because that is a hard thing to do, but I don't think we should do it at the expense of other people. 
And we should realize that we're all needing truth, needing messages, and still needing people to speak into our lives. I think that's the big thing, is remembering that there are still voices that we need in our lives. And even sometimes, you know, I can learn from people younger than me, and people younger than me can learn from me, and people older than me can learn. Like, we all can learn from other people. We can all learn something from the way God is using somebody else, and that can impact our lives, our faith, and help us to better serve God. And so in this case, it's Paul, which is like the cream of the crop writing to multiple people. Sometimes it's just the smaller voices. Timothy was around people older than him, but he still had the ability to speak in their lives in truth because that's what God had called him to do. And Paul tells him to do so. Not to do so in an arrogant way. He says to speak to elders like you would your father and to speak to the other men like you would your brothers. And sometimes we lose a lot of that in the church, I feel like. I feel like we don't view each other in that way. We don't respect each other the way that we ought to respect each other the best of our abilities, but it's because we rank everything in our minds when God's probably not ranking us as much as we we probably think that he is sometimes. But at the end of the day, we all need truth. And we all need the same truth. And it's the truth that comes directly from God's word. We'll never get to a point where that truth does not apply to us. It's always going to apply to us. As long as we're breathing, the same truth applies to us. We don't get more freedoms as Christians to do more things that we used to do. We're still just as called to not live in the world at every point in our walk with God as we are from the beginning. So I hope that makes sense. I hope that it helps you. And that is all the subjects that we have for today's podcast. I hope that this has been an encouragement and a blessing and has helped you in some way. If you have any questions, any concerns, anything you want to talk about, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at moregodlessmepodcast at gmail.com with anything. Are you needing church? Email me and I'll find you a great apostolic church in your area and help you connect with other believers. I'm here just to be a conduit of the Lord, to serve people in the best way that I can. I'm here to declare the, the greatness of God to all the nations, as David wrote in the Psalms. But I'm also here to be a help, to be an encouragement, and to help you. And if you need something, if you have certain subjects that you want me to talk about in different episodes of the podcast, let me know. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to communicate with you. I want to be a blessing to anybody that listens to this podcast, and I hope that I can be in the best ways possible. Now, I also ask, though, that you help us to bless other people by sharing, liking, commenting, subscribing, all those good things, whatever platforms you're on, do those, do whatever it is that you can to support this ministry because it really helps us to reach more people, and the more people we reach, the more that we can help other people draw closer to God, to, to spend time with God daily. I mean, we're doing three podcasts a week here. I would almost love to do a daily show just talking about the goodness of God, the glory of God, the greatness of God, and being able to do this in a capacity that just is able to encourage and help and uplift people every single day because it matters to get to talk about God, to get to share God, and to get to impact and reach lives for the gospel message. There is no greater thing that we can do. And so if you can help support us, that just helps us reach more people and grow and maybe get to that point one day where we're able just to put out so much content that we can't help but find the people who need those messages and need more of God and less of themselves. That's ultimately what we're seeking. It's not to grow ourselves, but to grow God. He must increase and I must decrease. That's kind of the point of this whole thing, is to get to a point where we have decreased and where God has increased. And when people look at us, they don't just see us, but they see the God that we serve. 
I hope that you'll help us to do that and help us to accomplish that mission. We'll be back with you on Friday for the Better Together podcast, my favorite episode of the week, because I'm joined by my lovely wife, who makes it so much more fun, so much more engaging, and I almost just need to pull her into some of these different episodes so she can give her insight and her wisdom and so that she can also help me maybe to not ramble as much as I do so often on these episodes of the podcast. But love you guys. I thank you for listening. We'll see you in that next episode. But until then, God bless.